When you arrive at the Titanic Museum attraction in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and I believe it's the same at the one in Branson, Missouri, there are two locations that's important to know. You receive a piece of paper and it's a boarding pass. I mean, it's just a piece of paper, but it's supposed to be a boarding pass. And it has a name on it, and it might be a woman, it might be a man, it might be a child, maybe first class, second class, third class, but this person was on Titanic. And you do not know if they lived or died the night of the sinking, but you do find out a little bit about them, their age, where they're from, where they were headed, perhaps a little bit about their life on the ship. When my family and I went in June of 2021, we received our four cards and I quickly realized that my son, my daughter, and I had received cards of people who survived. I have read so much about Titanic that I knew when I looked immediately and that my husband had received a card of someone who did not. And for my kids, when we reached the end of the tour, the end of the museum, we get to the wall and we look at the survivor list and the list of those who were lost. They realized that I mean, we hadn't received the cards of a family, but for them at ages five and six at the time, we were going through the museum as a family. And so for them, the cards were of a family. And so in their minds, the, you know, quote unquote, dad doesn't make it off the ship. And it was really emotional to come to the realization that if we had been on Titanic as our family, that's likely what would have happened, that... My husband, John, would have been the one that didn't make it. I think that the use of these boarding passes to create an identity to sort of meditate on as you walk through the museum may seem a little cheesy at first glance, but I actually think it's a fantastic way to take the macro of Titanic, all of the artifacts and what they symbolize, the story of building the ship, the thousands of stories of people who were on the ship or built the ship, and to squeeze it down to a micro that you have as you walk through all of the information and all of the exhibits and you have an identity to focus on, you can think about what this person might have been doing at any given point during the voyage. So I think it's a wonderful strategy. It's obviously meant to evoke that emotion. And I think it's it's something to think about in terms of public history and how we interpret history that this is one strategy to identify with a specific person on board. Serendipitously, I was going through a book just the other day, about 3 days ago, and I realized that I'd saved my card as a bookmark. So, I have it and I will read to you from Hilda Hellstrom's story, and she's who I got. She was 22, she was a third-class passenger, and she was headed to Evanston, Illinois. And these are written in first person, by the way. I'm Hilda Hellstrom. It had always been my dream to visit my aunt in America. I came close once, but my mother got sick, and I had to stay and keep house for father. A month after she passed, I was ready to make my dreams come true. I had my fears and doubts traveling alone, but once on board the fastest, safest ship in the world, I rested easier. 
My third class Titanic cabin was far aft with other single women. I was crammed for space and was terribly curious to see what first class living was like. One evening, I boldly snuck into the first class ballroom and found myself in the presence of wonderful music and beautiful people. I managed to stay completely unnoticed. The iceberg was like that. It snuck into our path, unnoticed until too late. I was awake when it happened, went on deck and found nothing wrong. Later, I went back up. This time, someone grabbed me and pointed me to one of the last remaining lifeboats. And like I said, Hilda Hellstrom did survive. And I... (laughs) I was a little skeptical of this story when I first read it, as I've talked to you guys on the podcast about a lot. You know, the gates from third class to the rest of the ship were both metaphorically and physically very locked. There was a strict quarantine process in place for third class passengers. I've talked about how the story of Jack and Rose in the film likely would not have ever happened because a third-class man would have never been allowed to just roam the first-class area. So I was skeptical, but I looked it up, and Hilda did claim. She survived, and she claimed in interviews that she snuck in and found a way into first class to look at everything. So, you know, it's a... (laughs) I mean, there's questions there, right, of memory, and oral history and oral history as a source. But also, you know, on a more sort of fanciful note, I think we like to envision our history, obviously, as a strict timeline, A to B, almost mathematical, right? Here are the rules. Here's what we know. You know, in this case, oh, the gates would have been locked. Third class person would have never made it. But history is more human than that. And what if there was one person that charmed her way through those gates or climbed up those over those gates, excuse me, and made it and did that. And what if it was Hilda? <laughs> so I think it's important to remember that, again, in that micro level of history, there are little human stories that defy the rules that we think we have for a historical narrative. All right. So I have an interview for you with the education executive of the Titanic Museum Attractions. His name is Jim Myers. In the beginning of the interview, I mistakenly uh, say James. He does prefer Jim. I found that out and I am so sorry again, Jim, for that. Uh, Jim Myers, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, Jim is a former educator and so he brings that experience with him to his role at the museums. He is a lifelong Titanic enthusiast. He's well studied on every aspect of the ship and her passengers. It was a delight to speak with him. I could have spoken for hours with him about all of the Titanic minutia. So again, thank you, Jim, for your time. It's a fantastic interview. And I want to say thank you to the Titanic Museum attractions and everyone that works there for being these wonderful spots in these two places. Pigeon Forge and Branson, which are obviously, you know, tourist areas where families are constantly arriving, people are constantly arriving. And when they do, maybe they haven't thought about Titanic in a long time, or maybe they never have. Maybe there's children that have never thought about exploring the history of Titanic. And you arrive and there are these ships because the museums are ships. They're at half scale and it's half of a ship. And when my family arrived in Pigeon Forge, just, you know, you driving down the road and suddenly Titanic rises in front of the Smoky Mountains. It's sort of glorious. So thank you to the museum for being a place where 
people can walk in and just discover Titanic's stories. I'm LA Beatles, and welcome back to Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast. This is Boarding Pass, an interview with Jim Myers from the Titanic Museum Attractions. Oh, and stick around after the interview for a couple of announcements. Enjoy, you guys. Hi there, James Myers. Thank you so much for joining us on Unsinkable. I actually have a lot of listeners from all around the world who have not had a chance to visit the Titanic Museum attractions yet. And I get emails every week from people that are, you know, asking about it, interested in it, and they know I've been to one of them. And so I think this is going to be a a real treat for listeners. I want to thank you for taking the time. I really, I like to jump in right with a question. I think my first question for you as, you know, education executive of these two museums. I know for me, when I went to the one in Tennessee, perhaps the most moving experience I had was seeing all of the names on the wall at the end. I really, I was thinking about that this morning before we talked, and I'd love to hear from you what you guys just kind of sum up as the mission of your museums, because I know it is so tied up in remembrance and how we process grief. And I would love to hear from you in the design of the museum, what is sort of your your mission in terms of remembering Titanic? Because I think you guys do a really beautiful job of that. Well, we appreciate that, uh, you know, that that comes across to you when you visit the museum, because that truly is our mission. You know, there were 2,208 people on the Titanic, and we feel at our museums that uh, it is our mission to honor them and to not let their memory fade away. And the best way of doing that is telling their story. The people that work at the Titanic Museum, our crew members, they take it upon themselves to make sure that uh, when people come to visit our museums, that they don't just uh, see the names or the photographs, that they hear the stories of these people. You know, what were their lives like? What were their dreams? What were their hopes? You know, what would they have been if, you know, the ones that didn't survive, what would they have done, you know? Uh, Where were they coming from and why were they coming? You know, those things are very important to us. And that's one of the things that we're very proud of of our staff is that they they truly do uh, take it to heart. People that come in looking for a home and a mission, they Mm -hmm. stay with us for years. And many of our staff members have been with us since we opened. and, And we're very proud of that. Yes, and I I noticed uh, my family and I you and I had talked before this call. Uh, my family we went this past summer to the museum in Pigeon Forge, and you really do pick up on that. I have worked in a, at a few museums over the years, and I've been to many, but not every single one do you get that sense from employees that are working there that they are that they feel very ingrained in the place themselves. So I, I could tell that from being there, which was very, very impressive. One of the, you know, one of the big questions too in terms of 
the museum's mission and what you guys do on site. I've been really intrigued by your museum's relationship to artifacts and the type of exhibits that you do put together. I know you guys have a pretty kind of concrete stance on what type of artifacts that you will display at the museum. And so I would love it if you are willing to kind of talk about that a little bit and what your mission is in terms of that and the type of artifacts that you put on display. The artifacts that we show primarily, they are uh, family-related uh, artifacts, you know, so that means that they, you know, they come from family members that it may have been returned to them from uh, when the bodies were recovered. Uh, we also uh, show artifacts that were found in the debris field that were floating or they were in suitcases, that kind of thing. And we also display artifacts that we uh, will commission through other collectors. One thing that we try not to do is uh, there are a lot of family members that still have issues with artifacts that are taken off the, the bottom of the ocean. And so we, we tend to stay away from those. And we, we definitely don't discuss them at the, uh, the museum as, you know, unless, unless there's, you know, someone there that just absolutely has to have some knowledge about uh, artifacts that are left on the ocean floor, that kind of thing. Because we want to be very sensitive to the family members. We've had well over 300 actual descendants go through our museums. And, um, you know, we, we really cherish that relationship that we have with them. And we want to be sensitive to uh, their feelings about artifacts that are currently on the, on the ocean floor. So uh, that's kind of our stance. And, it, you know, it has worked very well for us. Many people say, oh, well, you know, how could you have gotten plates from the debris field? Believe it or not, there were actually quite a few in the uh, in the suitcases and those kinds of things. Uh, it was actually uh, kind of a tradition at that time to take a few things uh, from a ship's maiden voyage, kind of to commemorate. Oh yeah, things okay. like that. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I hadn't I'd never thought about that before. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's actually it was actually quite a thing. You know, in some of the artifacts, you know, like for instance, uh, we had a. Uh, um, a hot chocolate uh, cup, which uh, those are very unusual, that actually was taken off of the ship uh, before it sailed by a family member. Uh, they were there uh, uh, visiting with their family before their family left, and they, you know, they took it with them uh, just to kind of commemorate the event, you know. So, you know, there's an awful lot of artifacts that, that are displayed that are like that. But actually, I thought of a lot while you were saying that, which is one, you know, I had Veronica Hinky on the podcast who wrote the book, The Last Night on the Titanic, about the food and drink. And she was talking about the menus and why we have menus. The reason that we have the few that we do have surviving is because people kept them as a commemorative piece of their voyage. Um, mm -hmm. So she and I talked about that, and I had never thought about that that way. And it's amazing to think about dishes sort of falling in that category as well. And I think one of the one of the reasons why Titanic continues to fascinate is how little of her that we have, right? So every piece, even a dish that you guys have that came from a suitcase, when that's in a box, when it's on display and you can see it, it's, I think that it's a really moving and meaningful experience for people. It was for me, every little piece of her. So my next question, actually, this segues really well, which is, 
I know you do have descendants come through in the museums, and I would love to hear what that experience is like for them. And if you can remember any specific situations where one of them may have been moved by a specific artifact that you have or a specific piece that you have, you know, just if, you know, anecdotally, if you are able to share maybe a couple of experiences you've had to that end, that would be amazing. Oh, it's, uh, I tell you, and that is, a, that is the perfect word for it. it. It is amazing. Whenever we find out that there is a confirmed um, descendant that is going to go through our museum, I mean, it's a, a very special day for us. Um, they will contact us ahead of time. We make arrangements for them to have a special tour. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the best things about my position with the Titanic is many times our owner will ask if I would give a, a a tour to that descendant. And so I'm actually someone who is blessed to be able to connect with them one-on-one. And, uh, you know, like for instance, when uh, Molly Brown's great granddaughter uh, comes to visit us, uh, she is a, a very special friend to our museum, has done a great deal of uh, work with us for local charities, that type of thing. Um, uh, we just love it when she comes here. I mean, she is a part of our family and and uh, we just love it. You know, then you get those cases of a descendant that we may not have ever met before. My most uh, exciting event was when um, they told me I was going to be giving a tour to a descendant and I didn't even know who it was uh, oh, wow. <laughs> over to the ship from the corporate office. And it was actually Frankie Goldsmith, um, uh, his um, youngest son. Oh, wow. Frankie Goldsmith, of course, was nine years old on the Titanic. And this is his youngest son who had traveled all the way from Florida to see our museum. And when I was taking him through, we got to the third class berth that we have recreated. And on the inside of that berth, there is a recording of a child actor who is reading the words that Frankie Goldsmith wrote about being on the Titanic as a nine-year-old boy. And he was talking about the meals and he was talking about, uh, you know, the, the fresh linens that were in the room and, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. And, uh, you know, I told him, I said, this is a child actor portraying your father. And just to see the look on his face, you know, as he was seeing that, um, it just meant so much to me. I mean, it just really touched my heart. And then we um, continued through the museum, and I showed him a photograph of his father in the uh, in the children's gallery. And I said, well, mm-hmm. your dad was a good-looking little lad, wasn't he? <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, I've seen that photograph many times. And I asked him, I said, did your father talk about being a Titanic survivor a lot? And he said, you know, I didn't even know he was a survivor until I was 19 years old. Wow. Because he refused to talk about it while his mother was still alive. And then he talked about it a great deal. And he was a wealth of, you know, of stories and knowledge. But when we got to the memorial room and I pointed to where his father's name was on our etched glass walls, he stepped up and he rubbed his fingers across the name to feel the etched name and a tear, you know, came out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that to me was just, you know, it's what, uh, it's what we do. 
And uh, our owner always says that when we have told it a story that really touches people or, or that we show something, she said, it's what we do. Mm-hmm. And it just all came home. You know, it just, it meant a great deal. That's a very full circle moment. Uh, and, and I think it's a reminder of how close we still live to the tragedy as well. Um, wasn't that long ago, not really, you know? And I think yeah. mo- moments like that, the bridge is still really, really short and we can still, you know, I mean, gosh, I can't even imagine, you know, standing there with him and he's having this cathartic moment. And actually, you know, in terms of of survivors talking about their experience, that's a topic that comes up a lot on the pod. I had Steven Schwinkert on the pod, who was one of the uh, creators of The Six, which is the new documentary about the Chinese mm-hmm. survivors. And I've been lucky enough, I have seen it, the movie. And, and that's a real, it's a real theme in that film as well, is that a lot of the people that they're working to find that were the you know Chinese survivors and their descendants. It's really a question of of whether they talked about it in their life, and some of their family members didn't even know. And and you know, of course, that opens up a conversation about grief and processing grief. Um, but I I think that that what you guys do at the museum is a great combo of you know emotive and emotional moments like that that connect right to the tragedy with this educational sense of it. Obviously it's a, it's an attraction. It's in the name. So, you know, part of it is interactive. And can you speak a little bit to that as well? I took my kids there. They were four and six at the time when we went and we were at the one in Tennessee and they, you know, did the coal, they picked up the shovel and, and practiced putting the coal in the furnace and such. Um, but can you talk a little bit about your goals as a place of sort of interactive education as well? A lot of the students that go through our museum, they already know a great deal about the the people that were on it. I mean, they they want to know more. And so they come to see our museum. And as they go through it, we feel that the way our museum has been laid out, it's it's like the story. I mean, you start out at the very beginning uh, where you see all of the flags of the countries that were represented on the Titanic. You see examples to show you how massive the Titanic was compared to uh, iconic things like uh, the Statue of Liberty and the St. Louis Arch and so on and so forth. Uh, But you look up and you see the massive size of one of the propellers. We have a reproduction of it. Mm -hmm. And then as you start in, you're beginning to learn a little more about the Titanic story. Where was it built? Who built it? How long did it take to build it? Uh, What was its path going to be? How long was it supposed to take? You know, and so you're getting all this background information, and then you start stepping into the next couple of galleries that show you the opulence of the ship. And, you know, where you see the plates and the silverware and those kinds of things. But then you get a glimpse of the workers on the Titanic, the boiler room, the men who had to shovel, you know, over 600 tons of coal every day to keep this massive ship going. And then we take you into the Father Brown's gallery where the photographs of the Titanic loading uh, all of the things that went on it and the immigrants that were getting on it. And then we take you into third class 
then the grand staircase and so on and so forth through the museum. We tell you the story as you go through. And so you start to interact more and more. You get a chance to shovel coal. You get a chance to go on the sloping decks. You get a chance to get into the uh, lifeboat, a full-size lifeboat to see how crammed you would have been in there. And so we feel that if people can be, uh, you know, touched by being, uh, you know, being active in this story, that it's just going to mean so much more to them. Um, When I was teaching school many years ago, uh, I used to tell the young teachers that, you know, you're going to be a better teacher if you're a better storyteller. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because these kids will, they will... uh, feed into it. They will get into it more if you tell a better story. And that's what we try to do with the Titanic. And and we work very hard with our crew. I mean, people don't just get hired at the Titanic. They come on board. They have a mentor that helps them understand what we're trying to do. They have someone that's going to help them uh, learn the facts of the Titanic because there's just so much to learn. And our crew actually goes through what we call Titanic College. And they have to go through and there are actual tests. And, uh, you know, it's not that they're going to lose their job over that. <laughs> but it just it just shows us how they're progressing in learning the story. Because we know that if they're a better storyteller, our guests are going to have the experience they deserve. Well, and it's, it's, you know, I talk a lot about, I agree 100%. I talk a lot about on the podcast, you know, history becoming accessible. And I think there is this misconception that when history is made accessible, that it's, you know, dumbed down or something. And that's not true at all. There is a way to make history accessible and still enthralling (laughs) and detailed, but it it has to be, the storytelling aspect has to be there in order for that to happen, that you can marry the academic, right, with the interesting with the, you know, um, the experience someone has, you know, seeing an artifact or seeing a descendant's name on the wall, all of that can exist together. And I think the answer is a storyteller, right? And I think as as a historian, that's what I try to be. Um, I think a lot of academic historians (laughs) end up maybe missing that skill, unfortunately, a little bit. And I think there is a very definitive skill set when you work at a place like the Titanic Museum attraction and you're telling the stories to visitors. And so I think that's kind of amazing that you have the training program and that you have this feeling among your employees that they are a part of the story. What is, it's kind of a, a fun question you know, I um, it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of the movie. I just did a big four part series on the pod about James Cameron's movie. I'm a <laughs> I was 13 when the movie came out, so it hit at the right age, and I've just always loved it. Has is it true that people do come through sometimes and wonder if those characters are real? I just that's a, a silly question I had to get in because I've always wondered. Do you hear that from employees ever? Does that happen? We do. Uh, we hear we hear it a lot. Wow. Uh, that a lot of people will come in and they will they will look uh on the uh the walls for Jack and Rose. Um and they then if they don't find them there, then they go into the next room, which is the survivor's room, and they're you know, they're they're looking for Rose in the survivor room and and they will ask questions like, Well, is she under uh, Rose DeWitt Bucator? Or is she under Rose Dawson? Oh my gosh! Uh, on the survivor wall, and you know, and one of the things that we 
stress very heavily at our museum is that uh, we deal strictly in facts. And, uh, you know, like if someone is uh, doing a conspiracy theory or if they're doing a myth, oh, yeah. uh, you know, we, we will give them the facts that will kind of dispel that. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, sometimes people get very upset when, when we tell them that Rose and Jack were not real people. Uh, on the Titanic. Um, and they will say, well, I've, you know, I was in Halifax and there's a grave that says Jay Dawson. There is you know? a Jay Dawson in, yeah. in Halifax. Yeah. 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 He was a crew but member, that, I believe. Right. He was, so, yeah. yeah. And we tell them, no, that was, that was Joseph Dawson, not, not Jack Dawson. Wow. Uh, but they get very upset sometimes. I, I've even seen tears shed when they find out. And then when they want to know about, uh, you know, the, the necklace, the heart of the ocean. Oh gosh. <laughs> you know, we, we have to tell them about that also. We, we do tell them that our owner had an actual one made, um, Whoa. From, from a sapphire, uh, with a beautiful diamond, you know, necklace and white gold. And we do display it occasionally so they can see what it would have looked like. Uh, but we only do it when we do like uh, movie props, you know, like when we have some of the dresses that, uh, yeah, I saw that wore, yeah. or Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, outfits. Um, you know, when we have those, when we're doing something to honor the movie, then um, come out, bring that out to feature that as part yes, of that kind of we section. Should. Well, yeah. I am, I'm very sad. I was not at a location uh, when the, the, clothing was there. I would love to see that. I'm gonna have to return if y'all do that again. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I have always seen anecdotes online, um, that people sort of, you know, claim they were upset when they found out that the, the Jack and Rose weren't real. I was just wondering if that was a phenomenon and apparently it is, but I think it's just a testament to how much, uh, just the cultural phenomena of that movie just continues to seep into the sort of dialogue around the ship. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sure your employees have to deal with, with that quite a bit, right? The, the two sort of mixing in a way, and they maybe have to straighten those details back Mm -hmm. out. I would love to hear what, you know, as someone who, you know, your job is to, you know, work on these programs to educate teachers, children, all visitors to the museums about all of these stories. And as you point out, there's over, you know, thousands of stories because there are thousands of people that were either on the ship or directly affected. After being in this job and 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 working with this every day, what is your Titanic moment? Is is there something that you've researched or worked on that, you know, of all the stories really sticks in your gut and something that is one of your favorite to tell? Like say if you were going to give, you know, a tour of the museum to someone and you got to highlight kind of your favorite story to tell. I love to ask people this question because uh, it's inevitably always different and there's so many conversations to have. So I would love to hear what your favorite Titanic story is, if you have one. Yes, uh, my my favorite uh, Titanic story deals with uh, Charles Lightoller, second officer. I think one of the things that people love about this Titanic story is that you know there was you know there were a lot of wealthy people that were on the ship, but there were also you know immigrants on the ship, and so it was every aspect of, of life, and uh, of you know just a collection of people that were thrown together in a situation. And when I look at it, and when I think most people look at it, they could almost see themselves in this situation. You know, they're, they they think like, you know, that could have been me. Mm-hmm. I, I could have been on that ship traveling. 
And so it really relates. And they they think to themselves, what would I have done? You know, what what kind of what would I have done in that situation? And, you know, and I think about, you know, when I was reading the stories about Charles Lightoller and how he responded to that situation, you know, he's one of the guys that's out there in charge of loading these lifeboats. Mm -hmm. He actually was given the opportunity and this is this was confirmed by other officers that, that he was given the opportunity to go in one of the lifeboats to be in charge of that boat and the other boats at sea. And he declined that. I mean, he was dedicated to Captain Smith. They had sailed together uh, many times. Mm-hmm. And so he he decided to stay. And so he made that decision. And then, um, you know, he's there on the Titanic to the final moments and he's still working on trying to get, you know, a lifeboat, uh, to where it could be the used. collapsible. Yeah. Yes. And he's washed off the deck and pushed against a grating that, uh, went down into the ship. And so the water's pouring through that grating and basically pinning him to that. And he fights his way off of that, then comes up eventually next to an upside down lifeboat and climbs up on that lifeboat. And with other men that get on that lifeboat, he directs them how to basically ride the wave so that they will stay afloat for most of the night. And then eventually gets into another lifeboat where he also kind of takes control of the situation. And then when the Carpathia arrives, he refuses to be picked up until the last survivor. He was last on. I have read that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he gets to the inquiry, he is being asked questions by a senator who knows nothing about the ocean mm-hmm. and about being on the <laughs> sea. And he is being asked questions such as, what is an iceberg made of? You know, I mean, it's just showing disrespect to him and the other officers that survived, almost like they didn't do their job. Oh, yes. And I, I would actually I've urged my listeners to read the the Senate hearing reports. Um, I've read I've read them word for word, which was quite a <laughs> quite yeah. an experience. I'll tell you, it took yeah. many weeks. Um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I encourage listeners to go through and read uh, you know, questioning because absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the senator, I think his name was Alden Smith, right? He it was. Yes. Yeah, he does not. Uh, he does not know what questions to ask in some of those scenarios. So it's. But you know, he asks Lightoller, uh, "When did you leave the ship?" And Lightoller's response was, and I love this response: "I never left the ship. The mm-hmm. ship left me." Yes, that's a. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous. I think one of the most. Um, kind of important and moving lines, I think, that came out of that, you know, at least as I looked at it as a document and sort of that was a moment when I read that it took me right there. It took me right there to the Senate hearing, took me to the ship. And I think Lightoller is, and rightly so, one of the most important, you know, it's, it's, I'd struggle with the right words to say this, but I, I think, you know, obviously there's a reason why he's featured so prominently in A Night to Remember. I think through Lightoller, he is someone on the ship that we can sort of, when we learn his story, we can transport ourselves back to that moment. And he represents so much to so many people. And I think one of the, one of my favorite parts about Lightoller's sort of story 
is that when he is directing people on the overturned collapsible, you're absolutely right. It is his skill as a seaman, as a man of the sea, it is his skill in in telling people how to move their bodies and how to balance that saves those lives. Cor- am I correct? Right. It, it's I, yes. I really yeah. Absolutely. And and I think that's a part of the story of the overturned collapsible that most people don't think about. Also, that there was one woman on it, which I learned a few months ago yeah. that I did not know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lightoller is, I think, uh, people have asked me if I'm going to do an episode on him and I absolutely will, but it's daunting to me because there is so much material and so many sources and I, you know, want to do him, um, justice. So, uh, maybe I might have, you may, maybe you can help me when I do that one. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he's, there's a lot, there's a lot people should read about him because there's a lot to read too. So, yes. and, and tell me about, Tell me about some of your uh, at programs for teachers. I know when we spoke before um, a few weeks ago, we talked about it a little bit, but I would love for listeners to know what resources you guys have, what programs you might have upcoming, anything like that, because I know I have a lot of listeners that are teachers. I also have a lot of listeners that have young kids like I do. So um, would love to just kind of hear, you know, what you're you know, what the museum's mission in terms of that is as well. Well, and that's something we're very excited about because it just continues to grow. Um, You know, it started out a few years back as just a few programs and it has really grown. Our owners are so dedicated to building this education program uh, for teachers all over the, the world, actually. Uh, I do presentations for schools, uh, not only our local schools, but uh, I do Zoom uh, presentations for teachers all over the world. As a matter of fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I had, it was so interesting because I had a Zoom with a school in Illinois, one in Montana, one in Georgia, one in the Philippines, and one in uh, England. And wow. <laughs> so, you know, we have a we have the opportunity with Zoom to touch, uh, you know, teachers all over the world. And, uh, you know, people are always contacting us and saying, you know, I know there's a huge uh, time difference, um, you know, with Branson, Missouri. Uh, but I always tell them, you know, if they contact me, whatever time I need to get up and do uh, a Zoom call with your school, no matter where you are, we will do it because we absolutely love doing those those programs. But we have built uh, many programs. I mean, we have, of course, virtual tours. And uh, when it's not pandemic, uh, we, of course, do field trips at the at the museum. But we have a marvelous virtual tour that we do. Uh, currently, uh, that people get a great experience through. We have our own literacy program. If you go on our website of uh, Titanic Branson, uh, you're going to see an education button. And if you click on that, okay. it's going to give uh, you know uh, information about the virtual tours and those things, but also our literacy program. Um, but we also uh, have a, a story time that we do uh, with students all across the country. Um, and it's one of our maids down in Pigeon Forge that does it, and she does a marvelous job with it. She's just so personal. We have just created, and this is something I'm very proud of, and I think it's going to be a great resource for teachers. We are currently experimenting with 
Um, and we're starting with the fourth grade level because that's where we get a great deal of our interest from students. Mm -hmm. uh, language arts, science, math, and social studies enhancement lessons that a teacher could use in their classroom. And you know, let's say, for instance, a teacher is doing a theme day of Titanic and they want to have some fun activities, you know, to do that with, uh, we can we can provide them with that. Now, currently it's not on our page, but if they contact us and say, you know, I'd kind of like to take a peek at this because uh, it's it's still in its, uh, you know, initial stages. Develop but it. we're yeah. willing to send it out as a rough draft for them okay. to look at and if okay. they want to use it. And, you know, the most marvelous thing about everything that we do education-wise is 99% of it is completely free to the teacher. Uh, the only thing that we currently charge for that I've mentioned is the virtual tour or the field trip. Okay. Uh, everything else, the Zoom presentation that I do, uh, question and answer sessions that I do uh, with schools, all completely free. Even if they just want to send questions to me and have me answer them, I help with uh, National History Day. I help with school projects. Um, you know, we mentored a student out in uh, Seattle this past year. She was creating a um, activity book for younger students. She was a high school student. She was doing this as uh, one of her school projects. And we spent the entire year uh, helping her develop uh, a marvelous activity book. And it was a great experience for us, too. Um, that's a that's incredible. I think it's uh, that's a really such a testament to what you guys are doing accessibility is so important. And I think, you know, the accessibility that you guys are creating with all of that, and especially since most of it is free of charge, that's incredible. Uh, and I, I think, and correct me if you see it differently, I think that fourth grade, fifth grade timeline makes sense to me in terms of a heavy interest. I think that's when a lot of people kind of get Titanic um, obsessed, you know, and I think that there should be more of an integration of the Titanic story into social studies and history classrooms in middle school and high school as well. I think, unfortunately, you see that fall off as a topic after elementary school. Have you seen that? Do y'all, do y'all, so do you get a lot of middle school and high schoolers that are interested? Because I, I personally, I, I tend to see that it, it falls off in the curriculum and doesn't get integrated into, you know, greater history, historic themes um, as kids tend to get older. And I've often wondered why. So I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. Well, you know, the elementary school age is a classroom um, they tend to be, you know, like we really get a lot of uh, classroom requests, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. We get a lot of those, and I do a lot of presentations for that age. Uh, I also do I get a great deal of that age group gifted programs want to uh, have presentations done. But when it gets into high school, it tends to be individuals. And they are usually writing a paper on a particular person or a particular position that they're taking on the Titanic mm -hmm. or maybe the psychology of the way things worked on the Titanic. And so it becomes more individual. I've e I even get college students occasionally who are writing papers about why they think people responded the way they did or the survivor's guilt or oh, something yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it tends to be individuals, but the classrooms, um, they, uh, they contact us in those lower grades. 
one of the things that we're really, you know, that we're really positive about is that when people, when teachers contact us, they say, well, can you do this? And that's one of the marvelous things about our education program is we will help the teacher uh, create whatever program they want to do for their classroom, if if it's possible for us to do it. Uh, it doesn't have to be our guidelines. If the teacher contacts us uh, and they say, well, how about if we try this? We're like, absolutely, we're on board. Uh, we will help you create that. I had a teacher from Arkansas where her group would help with a local museum down there of uh, kind of uh, cataloging artifacts and that kind of thing. And she wanted to know if we could help her create a field trip where they would come up here and we would show them how artifacts or, or talk to them about how artifacts are taken off the ocean bottom. Not that we use them, but, the, you know, how are <laughs> they found and what kind of restoration goes into them. And then we use uh, like replicas from our gift shop to show them you know, what's the difference in restoration for a ceramic piece as opposed to a metal piece and that kind of thing. And it, it turned out marvelous. Yeah, I mean, it's just, we, you know, I was thrilled to do it. Well, there's so many, and I mean, that is, and, and, and actually I'm very encouraged to hear that you do get messages from high school and even college students, because I think, um, and actually I had the historian Gareth Russell was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he actually give him credit for this point because he very much made the point and it's, it's in his opening to his book as well. But this, you know, for some reason, Titanic has not been properly integrated into uh, the way historical narratives are taught at the, you know, upper academic levels, and which is a shame because of the themes of race, class, gender, right on the cusp of that pre-World War One era, the Edwardian era. There's so much, there's so many ways in which it can be incorporated. And then the finding of the wreck, and in terms of the, you know, preservation of artifacts, the debates around the wreck and its you know, legacy. There's so many ways in which the Titanic story fits into, you know, an academic, you know, I guess teaching moments is the best way to put it. It sounds cheesy, but that's really the best way to put it. If you're a listener and you're interested in one of, in, in having a Zoom call with you or the virtual tour, so they should just contact you, right? Just go to the website, email or fill out the contact Absolutely. form. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I actually, I actually had a listener just a couple of weeks ago, um, a homeschool mom, she was developing um, some curriculum for her, I think their elementary age, um, homeschool curriculum for her kids about the Titanic. And she was asking me some questions. And I just think, you know, it's incredible to have those those interactions. And I think what you're doing on that end is is so great. I have just a couple more things. So tell me about the program you've got coming up in March for Irish history. And then I'd love to end with just your thoughts on why Titanic. This is what I do when I have a guest on. I'd love to hear every individual Titanic person's thoughts on why we go back to it, why it is timeless, why of all of the tragedies, all of the shipwrecks, all of the things that as a society we've endured, you know, why do you think personally Titanic is the one that um, is, you know, evergreen in, in how we relate to it and want to, you know, investigate it, really? 
Well, uh, talking about the, our March exhibit, uh, we this is a new exhibit for one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that, um, you know, when we have an exhibit, you know, a lot of people think, oh, they just gather artifacts and they they set up an exhibit. No, it takes two to three years prior planning before we ever put an exhibit uh, into our museum. And the reason for that is because um, our owners are probably the most thorough people that I have ever worked with or for. And they're marvelous at what they do. They have such a love for the Titanic. Our owner, John, actually was the second person. Uh, John Joslin is his name. Uh, was the second person in history to go down to the Titanic wreck site. Yeah, his, uh, his uh, exhibition, they were at sea for 44 days and they made 32 dives on the on the Titanic wreck, and they took uh, film footage, of course, to create the live television event, but they also took enough film and, and documentary uh, film to to create two documentary movies. So it, that's where the love of the Titanic started with John, and, and of course, Mary came on as his partner. Uh, John was in documentary movies. Mary was in uh television. She worked for Disney, so she's a very visual person. Mm -hmm. All of our galleries, uh, you know, have come from her uh, ideas and then our then our creators uh, take over. Um, but she tells them what she sees as the vision. But, um, you know, so several years ago, we were talking about the Irish because, uh, you know, every March we pay homage to the Irish that were on board, uh, you know, and the Irish built the Titanic. They're at Harlan and Wolf. And so, you know, we, we love every March to have Irish month. And so uh, we were talking about what is something, you know, new we could add. And, and so we were talking about that. And uh, the topic of Irish folklore came up. And from that came the idea of the Irish fairies and uh, how in current Ireland, uh, roads are diverted and building projects are changed because they don't want to disturb the fairy rings or what are perceived as fairy cottages. And so we wanted to do something very special for the children that come to our museum. We wanted to give them that feeling of being young and having fantasy and, and you know, and just uh, something beautiful to see. And so our, our design team created fairy cottages and there are different ones and they're going to be throughout the ship and it's going to be just a joy to watch the children look for oh, them yes. and find them as they go through our museum. And then, you know, I was talking to some adults not long ago, and I told them, I said, uh, your children will love it. And if you're not careful, you're going to believe in fairies again yourself. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just a way of adding beauty to this story and uh, touching on the folklore of the Irish, you know, that were on the ship. 187 Irish were on the Titanic. I mean, 14 from one little village uh, alone. Oh, yes. Uh, actually, uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, just for what this actually ties in perfectly because um, the book club episode for the podcast for March is Hazel Gaynor's The Girl Who Came Home, which is the historical fictionalization of the Adderall 14. And oh. I actually just spoke with her a few days ago. We had our interview, but she's, um, I try to get authors to come on when I do the book episodes um, and I've been lucky so far. So that's actually going to be one of my March episodes. And we talked oh, quite a bit. 
yeah, we talk quite a bit about the Irish experience on board and the research that she did for that book. And she actually, she basically fictionalizes that group from, um, uh-huh. from Adderall. But anyway, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I just couldn't help oh, myself. No, it just I- all ties in so well for March. So. Yeah, we, 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 we don't care what we talk about. The tight <laughs> we just love talking about it. And you know, the Adderall, uh, 14 is, is actually one of my, uh, uh, I love that story because they still commemorate those 14 there in Adderall, uh, laddered on to this day, uh, at the time that the Titanic went down. So, you know, it's early in the morning and there's a statue of one of the girls, um, that they put up where she's turned and looking back mm-hmm. at the, at the village. And, oh my gosh, that's just so touching, but, so but that's what we're doing for, for March. And we're adding quite a few other things. We're going to, of course, we always have Irish music, uh, you know, that's played uh, Celtic music uh, played at the ship during that time. And we put up uh, Irish flags. Uh, normally we fly the white star flag and, and a British flag, you know, in our parking lot, there'll be Irish flags for this month. And, and so we, you know, we just try to pay tribute to them. Uh, years ago, uh, I was at the ship and they introduced me to a gentleman whose grandfather, uh, had worked on the Titanic. Wow. And, uh, this, this elderly gentleman had come from my, we get a lot of guests from England and Ireland and, uh, they want to come and see, you know, our museum because of the history of the Titanic there. But, uh, you know, I, you know, kind of going to your, your other question about why the Titanic, um, you know, I, I'm asked that question a lot. And, you know, I don't know if there is a perfect answer, because I think for every person, it may be a little something different. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you stop and think about this ship from the the idea of it, of building, you know, some of the most magnificent ships in the world and the, the men who labored and put this, you know, this beautiful shipped together uh there there are stories of that when the news of the titanic going down reached harlan and wolf that grown men stood in the shipyard and openly wept yes yes i mean that's you know so much of them went into building this ship and then you have the you know the wealthy that were on board uh, John Jacob Astor, Molly Brown, Benjamin Guggenheim, uh, using this ship strictly as a way of transporting themselves back to the United States, but also showing how wealthy they were, that they could take the grandest ship in the world. And then you have people like the Adderall 14 traveling on this ship. And, you know, they didn't care what ship they were traveling on, but they felt so blessed that they were actually on the grandest ship in the world. Uh, they, they felt like they were so lucky. And then all of these people, they're out there on the ocean and it didn't matter how wealthy or how poor they were. Um, they had to go through the exact same situation. You know, like when John Jacob Astor's body was found, he had thousands of dollars or the equivalent of, mm-hmm. equivalent of thousands of dollars in his pocket and the next man, the very next body that they pulled from the ocean had seven cents in his pocket. Yeah, yeah. The so, the, the great uh, equalizer of, you know, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many conversations can be had about class and gender with Titanic. And it's 
I agree a hundred percent. I think that when yeah. you, when you, I agree with what you're saying. I think what you're getting at, if I'm correct, is this might, it's a, you know, it's a micro that represents the macro that there were these layers on the ship that are everything to do with class, gender. You've got all types of people from all walks of life. It's almost like, a, you know, I was thinking about it when I was at one at your museum in Pigeon Forge, right? You have these amazing smaller replicas of the ship where it's a cross section and you can look inside and see the rooms and, you know, see on a very small scale, see people in the rooms and things like that. But when you see a cross section of the ship like that and you see, you have a visualization of all the different people that were on that. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, I think that's one of the reasons why we obsess over it, right? Is just imagining this whole small town afloat on the ocean and all of the stories that are going on um, as it's headed towards that iceberg. I think we just, we can't resist wanting to always know more about that. Absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a line at the uh, towards the end of the movie, James Cameron's movie Titanic, that um, you know a lot of times people that we would be talking as we go through the museum, or if I'm just over there helping do some things, and you know uh, one of our crew members says, "Hey Jim, can you answer this question for this guest?" Um, you know, I always kind of try to leave people with with uh, that line from the movie where Bill Paxton, um, you know, it, it's where he hasn't found what he was looking for, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but at the end, he says, all this time I've been looking, but I never let the Titanic in. I, that's mm -hmm. not the exact quote, but that's basically what he's saying. I never let the Titanic in. And if somebody lets the Titanic story in, they, they fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though 100%. it was a terrible disaster, they fall in love with the people that were on it and and what they were, you know, how they were trying to better their lives and they were trying to, uh, you know, enjoy this this magnificent ship. But if you let the story in, uh, you fall in love with it. Um, you abs I, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember reading, you know, Walter Lord's A Night to Remember when I was in seventh grade, I'm, I'm 64 years old and, uh, I read it in seventh grade and I fell in love with the Titanic at that point. And, um, uh, I've just read everything I could get my hands on about the Titanic ever since then. And people say, don't you ever get tired of talking <laughs> about the Titanic or reading about the Titanic? <laughs> and, you know, I have had to make myself read other books in between. Otherwise I was reading there for a while. I was reading nothing but Titanic. And, uh, well, you and I suffer from the same, books. you and I suffer from the same sickness then because I have, <laughs> I have we, the exact are, same experience. Yes. Yes. We are what are known as titaniacs. Titan yeah. Well, we are. Titanium. I have, uh, I've, you know, there's been points where books just appear at the house and my husband is, you know, just bringing in piles from the porch of book, you know, deliveries. <laughs> and he's, you know, oftentimes he said like, when are, when are you actually going to read all of these? And I always say, I will, I will get to them all eventually. Just I'm, I'm patient with myself. Um, but I do, I'm like you, I make myself read other things too, though, because obviously it's good to be a well-rounded, um, you know, reader, but I, yeah, it never, 
people ask me that all the time. Um, people ask me if I'm going to run out of episode ideas. I always say that's impossible. I could do this podcast every week until I'm 80 years old and I would never run out Absolutely. of, um, you know, never run out. In fact, um, Really quickly, I was thinking about one of your exhibits in Pigeon Forge on Joseph LaRoche because I'm actually prepping yes. an I'm prepping an episode on him um, in you know in honor of Black History Month. And so mm-hmm. right now I'm working on um, research on him and and I was remembering that you guys have a great uh, section on him at the museum, which I think is wonderful because his story is not featured enough in in books no. and things. So. Now, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there needs to be more done on that story. Uh, as a matter of fact, it would make a a great movie itself. Yes, um, it would. Uh, mm-hmm. He and his family. Um, you know, there there are a lot of stories that people still haven't found out, you know, enough about yet. The Navratil brothers uh, being another one. You know, so there, yeah, Joseph LaRoche's story is a great one. And we are very proud to be able to uh, show that story so that more people become aware of it. I think it's, uh, I, you know, and uh, really quickly too, my, I thought of one other thing to mention my husband, who's not a Titaniac from way back. He's, it's because of me that it's in his life. I, it, organically, he wouldn't <laughs> necessarily know so much. I always say he knows more than any other software engineer in the country about Titanic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but when we were at your museum, he was really moved by the Father Brown room and the portraits mm-hmm. and the displays that you have of those photographs. And I'm going to do an episode on, on Father Brown at, at one point. Um, but it's, yeah, you can zoom in on any passenger, you know, whether they survived or not. Um, obviously, some we don't have a lot of sources for, but you can really zoom in on anybody on that ship and tell a meaningful tale. Can I end with? <laughs> uh, can I end with a little bit of a silly question? Do you mind? Oh, no, not okay. at all. All right. So I get a lot of, I did an episode on Titanic and the paranormal uh, for Halloween last year in terms of just, you know, reports that people had of premonitions and things like this. And I looked at uh, William Steed. I looked into his life quite a bit. Um, But I I see online circulate and, and listeners email me quite a bit about this. Are there reports of artifacts that you guys have being haunt and it seems weird to use that word but i have seen a lot of stories pop up online is that something that you guys have investigated or really had people report on is that something that you feel like is going on there i'm just curious the titanic museum itself has not um uh, necessarily done an investigation we have had other people who have requested to do um uh, investigations, uh, some pretty well-known paranormal people, uh, Zach Higgins, uh, who has his own show, uh, and, and a museum out in um, Las Vegas uh, that deals with the paranormal. He, uh, he has been here, um, and several others. And, uh, you know, our crew has had strange experiences. Uh, some of our crew members have had strange experiences. Uh, I myself have never seen anything at the Titanic, but I did have a, a sound that was extremely strange uh, really? that I could not uh, figure out what it was. But uh, but we do have a lot of people that come to the museum and they, you know, I'm not a person that understands all that very, very well because I don't, <laughs> uh, I, I tend to be a little bit of a skeptic. Skeptic, but, yeah. uh, 
but uh, you know, we we we've had an awful lot of people that come in that they say that they are sensitive to those things and that they feel certain things. Uh, but uh, there are crew members that we have had for a very long time, people that I know personally and that uh, I believe them explicitly. Uh, that they have seen things and heard things that they cannot explain. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and so therefore <laughs> there has to be something. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, there's it's something. Just, yeah, it's interesting to think of. And I, to you know, just to be clear, I'm, I'm very much a skeptic myself. I call myself a curious skeptic when it comes to paranormal things. I, yeah. I, I'm always the one that wants to look for the most logical explanation, but I think my brain is also open to this idea of kind of energies and places or attached to objects. And it does, it is just intriguing to me, this idea that, you know, you do have items, obviously you're in a modern built building, but you do have items that have come from this site and have been connected to, you know, uh, one of the greatest tragedies in world history. And so I don't know, I just, I could not ask that. I was, I was curious because I have seen, you know, in my research, I see just so many random articles pop up online and I had seen it mentioned in that sense. Um, but sounds like, sounds like there's definitely a possibility there's something going on though, from what you're saying. It, so it seems that, um, um, when we have brought certain artifacts in, yeah, because we are a modern building, we have brought certain artifacts in that there has been an increase at times when certain artifacts come in. And, so interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the really, the really strange thing is when you have an older crew member who has said that they have seen, say, because it's not a topic of discussion around the Titanic very often. It's only like when we get a question about it, because we don't, we don't go out of our way to talk. Oh, of course not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, absolutely. Um, you know, when you have an older crew member that has seen something and described it, and then you have like a brand new crew member who's like, you know, I just saw the strangest thing and it matches <laughs> identically to, I mean, it's, 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 uh, interesting conversations, but, uh, normally that's, you know, we have them in the, in the, crew lounge. <laughs> yeah. You just keep them to the, yeah, no, it's, exactly. and I, yeah, I was, I was actually just listening to a podcast about the queen Mary and it was a similar set of situation where some people that had worked there, you know, in different eras kind of had stories that matched up. And yeah. sometimes when they, when they match up, it's hard to deny that there could be something, you know, going on. So, well, anyway, yeah. I just, just had to ask. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Um, just want to reiterate, like you mentioned, listeners, you know, go to the Titanic Museum Attraction website um, and contact. Um, and and uh, I have, I called you James in the intro. Jim or James, do you prefer? James? I, I prefer Jim. Jim. Oh, you prefer Jim. Then yeah. I am so sorry. <laughs> um, no, no, no. But, that's okay. My business card says James. Okay. Okay. Well, yes, listeners, contact Jim, especially if you are a teacher, an educator that is interested in taking advantage of these programs. And I encourage listeners to just check out the museum as soon as they can. And I, you know, I just went to the one in Pigeon Forge. I still need to come to the Branson one. But now that we've met, since you're in Branson, I should let you know when we make it up and maybe we Hello. can do a, I mean, 
could even do something fun, like a on-site recording where we walk through and, and look at some of the artifacts or something like that. That might be fun. I'm just kind of envisioning. We would love maybe, that. Yeah, we could do kind of a special episode. I One of my big goals coming out of, obviously it's been pandemic times, most of it, well, all the time I've had my podcast. So, um, you know, travel I want in the future to be a big part of the podcast and some of the writing I plan to do about Titanic. So that would be awesome. I, I hope we can meet in person sometime. Um, I would really love that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Hi guys. Thanks for listening to the episode and I hope you enjoyed the interview. I just wanted to pop in here at the end for a couple of quick announcements. First and foremost, I want to thank my newest Patreon members, both members at the VIP level, VIP patrons of Unsinkable. Thank you so much. I want to thank Amelia Bazell and Hank Bowen. You're awesome. Thank you. Times 17,000. I also want to let you know that if you are a Patreon VIP member or thinking about becoming one in the next couple of weeks. I am on Patreon currently scheduling the first round of Zoom meetups. And this is the special thing that is offered at that uh, higher tier, at the VIP tier. So you can check out the Patreon page. Let me know which one you'd like to come to, or maybe you don't want to come to one. And I just want to say, I totally get that too. There's absolutely no pressure to ever come to one of these. I understand there may be some of you that just want to quietly support the podcast. And I very much appreciate that. And you just want to, you know, support the pod with the funding and then just kind of listen. And that is fantastic too. Uh, There are some podcasts that I am, you know, supporters of that that's what I do. So totally get it. All right. What else? The book club pick for April is Ben Rains' The Last Slave Ship. It's the story of the Clotilda. And that is available to purchase, I mean, pretty much anywhere. Uh, You can go to my bookshop link, and that'll be in the show notes, and buy it there and support independent booksellers via bookshop. It's a wonderful way to buy your books. It's a great website. And just one last thing, a reminder that I will be traveling for a bit. So for the rest of March, these are scheduled episodes that I already had done, and I won't, unfortunately, be super available via social media or via email, but I plan to catch up as soon as I return later in the month. And thank you so much for all of your messages, all of your comments, all of your likes on social media. I just adore communicating with you guys. It's wonderful. So thank you so much for all of your support. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast and you have a quick minute to rate or review on Apple or Spotify, that definitely helps to increase the visibility of the podcast as well. All right. Oh, I will say though, check my social media later in the month and a couple of weeks because I am going one place that is ship adjacent, ship related in some way, and I think will be of interest to you guys for sure. It's a great spot. So, all right. I think that's it. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And I hope you you and yours are happy and healthy and safe and talk soon. Bye.